Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one. Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3 as I preach a message entitled, Inspire to Be a Leader. Aspire to be a leader. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to read from verse 1. Reading from the New King James Version tonight. Let's read the word of the Lord. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, covetous, not covetous, got it. Verse 4, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must be or have a good reputation among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, Faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own households well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in faith, which is in Christ. Father, come on and do what you like to do. By the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to each and every one. Those online, those that will listen in the future, God, move in power. If you have the freedom to pray in the Spirit, lay hands on your own heart and pray in the Spirit. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated comfortably in God's presence, and uh, we do have notes for you, and we would encourage you to fill those in as we move along. Notes are pretty much my normal way of doing things. I pass them out because we found that people have a greater ability to remember what is preached. And if you're anything like me, uh, give it a couple weeks, and I'm not sure what I preached on that Sunday. I got to go look. I got to check my own notes out and go, oh, oh, yeah. This is a powerful text of Scripture, and uh, you could go and read Titus chapter 1, very close to it. It is some qualifications for being a leader. We're all called to lead. I said, we're all called to lead. He said, no, I'm not. I'm not called to lead. Well, you're leading in some capacity. C.S. Lewis said, 
each of us will impact someone and either we'll get to see them in their glory, which will be amazing, or we could impact them and see them so horrible that we would hate to look upon them. All of us have influence. Every one of us has influence. And that's a rough quote from C.S. Lewis. All of us have influence. You say, I don't want to be a leader. Well, you're leading somebody. You're, you're affecting somebody. Leadership is influence. And so all of us have influence, whether you realize it or not. Whether you realize it or not, you are affecting people by what you do, what you say, the way you live, the way you act, whether that be good or bad. There is a great need for, for godly leaders in the world. I, I shared this morning about uh, a local church whose pastor has recently fallen and been removed from disqualified from continuing to lead that church, and, uh, and we're praying for them. In my 12, 13, almost 13 years here, that is the eighth, the eighth time. There's eight, I can tell you, eight of them in my memories. There, there might be more. There's eight times that the enemy, and that's how I see it, the enemy has struck a church, struck a shepherd, and caused that those churches that to be greatly affected. I do autopsies, spiritually speaking. You know what I mean by that. In other words, when I see someone wipe out, like I haven't done the autopsy on this, it's a little raw, but soon I will. I talk to the pastor, and I'm not in it for, listen, I understand really, really plainly, the only way I'm standing here right now is I'm covered by the grace of God. I've set my life up. And I'm, it's the grace, listen, don't be throwing rocks at anybody. All of us, for the grace of God, go I, says the Apostle Paul. You start pointing fingers and throwing rocks, and you're going to get a critical spirit, and you'll end up in the same, th- same situation. So you have mercy, and you pray. It's the devil that's a liar. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But you need to set your life up to have accountability. And so I do autopsies, and I, I'll, I'll call, and I'll talk to pastors. I'll talk to different ones, and I've... And I've been closely connected with those who've thrown away the ministry, thrown away their lives, their marriages for adultery, for, for a few minutes, waste everything, but throw it all away. For money, those that are embezzled. I mean, it's incredible the amount of embezzlement that's taken place in churches. Do you know that, right? Do you, do you know that? And you know, many times that happens by actually close, those that are, you know, super close and trusted, but the structure's not in place. Listen, I, don't even, I, I couldn't get in the safe. I don't even know how to get in the safe. I don't have the combo to the safe. And there's two, there's, there's, there's two different combinations. And there are unrelated people that have them. And there's a whole, there's so many safety structures. And do you know a lot of churches don't even operate that way? Our checks, if you want a check today, you ain't getting one. What do you mean? I mean, if we wanted to buy something or, and you were selling something to church or if you were a vendor and we wanted to purchase something from your, the music store or from the store, could, could you get a check for You couldn't get a check today because we have a whole system. It takes 10 days. You say, well, that's a little long. Yeah, but it's really safe. There's two signatures on that check. It goes through. There's a whole process. Never mind all the IRS stuff that we have to jump through and getting W-9s and everything. You can't just purchase stuff. There's a whole structure to keep the church safe and to keep people. Listen, the devil wants to, to, to steal, kill, and destroy. And you need to set your life up. And 
And I was just so grieved. And we prayed, we prayed for that church this morning. I mentioned what church it was in the second service, and my, my wife was grieved that I did that, and I, I don't feel like I misstepped, but maybe I did. The whole congregation knows, and I just believe that if I tell you you're not going to be a gossip and get all up on Facebook and curse yourself, you're going to actually pray for them. That's what I believe. Prayer is important. Leaders, if the devil can take out leaders, he's undermined. Listen, I've thought in my own mind, what would happen if I backslid? What would happen if I failed? There would be thousands of people that would be affected. Why would you even say that? Because it's good to have the fear of God. It's good to think about that. It's good to go, oh, let's just have these structures. Let's check our structures. If you ever hear of a story about how I was riding around with some girl in my truck, it was my daughter or my wife, because I don't ride with other girls in my truck separately. If you need a ride, if you're on the side of the road and you're wounded, I will stay with you until somebody else comes to help you. The point is, I'll never be accused of stuff because I've got, I've got convictions that I'm not going to violate for anybody, ever. I've got, I've got rules. I'll, come on, there's a great need for godly leaders. I said there's a great need for godly leaders. There's a great need for godly leaders. Can you say amen? Can you say a better amen? amen. And so... I've taught on this passage before, usually using Titus along with it, but for, for tonight, uh, just, just going to look at this text here in 1 Timothy 3. I do like telling a funny story about Pastor Ann, who um, could be my mother, and uh, she was our, certainly our spiritual mother and a great woman of God, and she's never married, has loved the Lord and lived for Him with all her heart, mind, soul, and strength, and she was a little girl. She's, uh, she's a hero of, of many of ours. And uh, she's been here. It's been a little while, but she'll come back through. I think she's in her mid-70s now, if I'm, if I'm correct. Years ago, I'd made a deal. We were newly married, my wife and I. And the deal was, you don't ride with another woman in your car. You don't ride in their car. They'd ride in your car. You're never alone with another woman. I don't, I don't go to lunch with another woman. I don't have coffee with another woman. I, I will with someone else, my wife or a leader. All right, you understand but it's never alone. You could never look and go. I remember one year, it's probably eight years ago, I grew a beard out and I went to, I went to have a, a date with my wife and um, we sat down at Evangelos and we're eating and this person from the church just walks by and goes, <laughs> and just stares at him like, whoa, I think she, she's offended. So later she called my wife I, you know, I thought you were with another man, but I later figured out it was Pastor Daniel. <laughs> he grew a beard. I didn't, I didn't get it. She was killing me of a daggers coming out of her eyes. <laughs> you charlatan. <laughs> Pastor Ann, we were going to a funeral, and um, I remember she had this purple Honda, and... Um, Everybody took off. I didn't have a car. My wife wasn't around. And I had to get to the funeral. And so Pastor Ann says, come on, we're going to the funeral. I said, uh, immediately I started feeling like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. I got another woman. I can't ride. I'm newly married. I can't ride in the car. I can't ride in the car, Pastor Ann. I can't. And so we get to the car, and I haven't. How many of you know you know you got to say something, and you're just, like, you're just like counting down to get the courage to say something? You know, one of our elders who I deeply respect. 
And we get there, we're about to get, she goes, okay, get in. I said, Pastor Ann, I'm sorry. She goes, what are you sorry about? I said, I can't, I can't. She says, get in the car. I said, okay. <laughs> so if you ever hear that I was riding with another woman who was either my wife, my daughter, or Pastor Ann. All right, so there you go. It's in this text that we see what a godly leader is because the Apostle Paul describes what one should be like if he's a leader in God's church. Now, now I'd like to say my qualification for a leader fits all of these things in the church or outside of the church. Uh, it's, it's just righteousness and, and, and truth. Can you say amen? amen? The Apostle Paul encourages people to be a leader in God's church, for he describes it as a noble task, because the NIV, a noble task, erego is the word, it's, it's a desire, yearn to be a leader. Whoever desires to be, a, and he uses some words that are synonymous with pastor, elder, deacon, deaconess, so on, so he uses some words there that we'll look at here in a moment. But he yearned to be a leader, Desire to be a leader. Aspire to be a leader. It's a wonderful thing to be. And it's a good, and he's telling them, look, you should desire that. It's a noble task. It's a noble thing to want to be a leader in the church. And this passage says it's it's the very intention. That very intention helps us become strong in God. All right. Look at number one. The church needs oversight. If you're gonna grow, you need accountability. I like saying it this way, every person needs a pastor. Every single person needs a pastor. Do you have a pastor, pastor? Yes, I do. The question is, is your pastor's pastor or your pastor? And the answer is yes. <laughs> pastor Vince taught that to me. He asked me once long ago, answer me this question, pastor, is your pastor's pastor or your pastor? Yeah. Dr. Morocco is provides oversight to this church and I'm under him and he's under the Lord and I provide oversight to other churches Eagle River soon California and um, Primrose Amen the church needs oversight there, there, are, there are those that are controlling and weird now, if you want me to pick your wife or your husband, you got the wrong pastor. You want me to pick out what, what color the curtains are? Wrong guy. You could talk to Minister Tammy. She might help you. The, the point is, we're not controlling. I don't want to control your life. I don't want to run. I won't control you. I won't run your life. I don't want to help you uh, make all those infinitesimal details. If you have need of counsel, I will help you. I'll give you the word. I'll pray with you. But my job is to equip you for the work of ministry. My job, according to Ephesians 4, is to get you so so connected to the Lord that, that you allow him to control your life, that your life is controlled by the Spirit, and that he would lead you and guide you and direct you. And that, come on, he would be your Lord, not... not there are churches that will control you. I don't really know of any, but you don't want to go to them. That's weird. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you've ever been to a controlling, make you have to, you know, white knuckle, force yourself through it. That's a, that's a painful thing. But the church does need oversight, and there is good godly leaders that provide that, and this is a good godly church. 
Pastors are a gift from the Lord. All the five-fold ministry gifts in Ephesians 4 are a gift to help people, to equip them, to get them ready to do what? To do the work of the ministry, to, to disciple, to lead people, to grow, to mature. You need all of them. Hallelujah. And there's a, a threefold aspect of becoming a leader in God's church. Well, number one, God's call is seen in one's desire to serve. Let me say that again. Let me say, how do you know if you're called? I think everyone is called. And let me say that again. I think every one of us is called. Now, where you're called, I'm not sure. But the desire in your heart to do something for the Lord, that's evidence that God's called you. If you don't have a desire in your heart to do something for God, something's wrong. So that's evidence of God's call. And that's an important part of fulfilling the plan of God. The fulfilling the, the requirement, fulfilling God's requirement for leadership is crucial. This threefold aspect of becoming a leader in God's house. One, a call, desire to serve. Two, the fulfilling God's requirement for leadership. God has requirements. We're going to look at them. And see, the thing is, is you, you find yourself to be a leader, and this is like a checklist, and you move through it, and you get like to point. D, you'd be like, oh, snap, not doing so good. Hell, you better sure that thing up, son. You're like, oh, I think I've been disqualified. Well, then you can talk to me after. Like, I want to be a leader, but I don't want to give up my gallivanting. We're not quite sure what that is. Maybe we should ask Siri. <laughs> Sounds like a noble thing, gallivanting, but it's not. Don't ask Siri. Marita said, don't do it. And uh, recognition by those who are serving. A threefold aspect of becoming a leader in the church. God's call, fulfilling the requirement. And man, you can't skip number three. Recognition by those who you're serving. Listen, I'm not here because I've filled out some, you know, bazooka bubblegum trade-in deal. And then they selected me and, and I came and, and uh, yeah, praise the Lord. That's not how that happened. I was... I had a desire. I fulfilled the requirements. That was acknowledged by those who were in leadership over me. And then God led me here by, by a vision, really, and spoke speaking to Dr. Morocco. And he placed me here, allowed me to come to fulfill the dream that was in my heart from the Lord. That's kind of amazing. So, you know, there's some people that think, well, I should be the pastor. Could go open your own church, Bubba, and see how that works out. I mean, you know, maybe God has called you to be a pastor if you want to do it the right way. And uh, recognition by those who you're serving. You know, it's funny. We've had, we've had folks like, I should be a leader by now. <laughs> well, by the very way you're talking to me right now is actually disqualifying you. But, but let's talk to those who you're serving. Right. Oh, they're a troublemaker. Oh, they're divisive. Oh. <laughs> Come on, somebody say Hallelujah. Apostle Paul lists two kinds of leaders. Two kinds of leaders, right in your notes. Overseers. An overseer, bishop, overseer, elder. It's a, it's a word for a pastor. All of those words mean the same thing. It means, it means a pastor. An elder comes out of a Jewish, the Jewish culture, culture and, and history. And uh, the terms have changed over the years, but in the, the first century church, they were all synonymous. Uh, you know, now a, a bishop is seen as something different. A bishop is seen not just as somebody who's an elder or a pastor, but somebody who's over multiple churches. And that changed. You can go 
look at church history and how that took place, overseers. The second one is deacons and deaconesses. Deacon means servant. The greatest among you is the servant of all. It's, it's somebody who would be raised up to be a go-between. And, and so that's the text Paul gives a requirement. Now somebody said, well, do you have deacons in the church here? We don't call them deacons, but we have leaders. And uh, those that have fulfilled the requirement, and they're really like, like, like deacons. Those that are leading our life groups. Those that are leading teams. And so can, does that mean I can call myself a deacon from now? No, you can't call yourself a deacon, all right? We, don't, we just don't use that terminology, although it is, it is biblical. And, uh, and it's seen right here. Somebody said, I know that voice from somewhere. Look at verse 2. Look at the text. Requirements for godly leaders, the overseer. Right in verse 2. Above reproach. A bishop then must be blameless. Can you put up the NIV for me? Can you find that anointed projection people? It's going to say projectionist. Would that work? 1 Timothy 3. Verse 2 in the New International Version. Now an overseer is to be above reproach. I, I like that. And uh, I think we'll go NIV all the way through looking at these. Above reproach and just leave the scripture up. What is it to be above reproach? It means, it means that basically you're righteous and nobody could say anything about it. I mean, complete above reproach mean that there's no wickedness that can be said about you. Your neighbors... The people that go to the church, when well, it talks about those outside, those inside, but I mean, specifically, your life is sterling. Listen, I think that comes all the way down to, all the way down to how you, you, you're, you know, whether you brush your teeth. No, I think, I, oh yeah. I think it comes down to hygiene. I think it's your whole life. Some of you are like, man, I didn't know my teeth could bring reproach. Talking about qualifications for an overseer or qualifications above reproach, blameless. Those are, those, when people see your actions, they can't think anything bad about it. This just happened to me, and those of you who are there, uh, uh, you just make note, and then it'll clean it up and clarify it. And those of you that weren't, don't just take it as an isolated illustration that was real time, happened. So I had somebody who, they were being playful, and they said, uh, hey, can you, can you go and do this? And I said, no, and can you go do, you know, we were, we were, it was, we're joking around. And they said, can you go with me over to the toy section? And I said, uh, you're making me uncomfortable right now. When I said that, it put a twist on what the toy sound. I'm shooting over the heads of most people on purpose. It put a twist on the idea of what the toy section was. And I didn't mean to. And it was kind of like, everybody laughed. And it's like, ah. And I, I later thought about that and thought, how many of you know there's, there's a toy section, sir, ma'am, you should not be in. Come on, somebody say amen. <laughs> and it put a twist on it of an overtone that I would never want to project to anybody, nor is it even in my heart. So as it came out, I thought, ah, 
that's kind of funny. And then, and then I go, oh, that could be taken wrong. Oh, snap. And then I'm praying. And the Lord's like, that wasn't cool. And I repented this morning. Had an opportunity. You know, it wasn't one of those things where I needed to call right away and do it, but I needed to call before I got in the pulpit. Got it straight. Is everybody understanding? You hear innuendos coming out of somebody's mouth, you better check that. Some, if somebody's got constant innuendos coming out of their mouth, there's issues. It can bring reproach. The husband of one wife. Oh, boy. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be married to be a pastor. I'm going to tell you some of the things it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you have to be married to be a pastor. Uh, it could mean that you're not to be a polygamist. It certainly could mean that. And everybody said. Yeah. Some say it could mean that those who have, uh, that, that are divorced are disqualified from being a leader in the church. In fact, some of you that know my story, I, I was married uh, when I was 21 and uh, had two kids and uh, had just a very challenging time. I was a very wounded, hurting young man. And my life went south, horribly south. And I wound up very demonized as a young man. And I wound up getting divorced. And uh, I was a smart girl to divorce me. It was, it was right in every way, and we weren't Christians. I later got saved. So does that mean that I'm disqualified because I've been divorced? Well, in some circles, yes, but not in ours, and that's not how we see that. The husband of one wife. Yeah, there are reasons for divorce. Abandonment, adultery, those are reasons for divorce. And even still, if you go through that, let me say, uh, and, and I'm certainly not going to have you lift your hands, but if you go through that kind of pain in your marriage and then the person repents, it doesn't mean you have to take them back. Let me run that through again. The only reason you, the only reason you would take someone back for one, there has to be repentance, but after that, God has to give you a grace. But by, by the word, by, by legal standard, biblical standards, you have every right to divorce her or him for abandonment, the breaking of the marriage covenant. Amen. I think pornography, or pornography works in that. I think pornography is absolutely something that breaks the covenant. You guys, you see what I'm looking at right now. It could be seen if you're widowed and remarried, but, but that, that's, if you could be seen if you're a widow, then you can't be a, a pastor, but that's not true either because Paul encourages even widows to marry so that they don't burn or end up in sin. It means basically to be faithful is what it means. It means to be faithful to your spouse. When you're a leader, when you're a leader, when, you're a, when, you're, when you become a pastor, leader, elder, you have, you have a role in people's lives that if that sexual aspect's not taken care of, you're going to end up in serious trouble. And you're going to end up in pain, and you're going to cause pain for the church and for people and for families. That has to be just dealt with. I've taught my son and my daughter both. The man of God, the woman of God needs to be in control of their emotions. You need to learn to be able to control your emotions. Not be able to fly off the handle, be led by your emotions. You need to be able to control your passion. 
I got that from this text and also from Dr. Morocco, who three weeks in a row laid hands on me and said, listen to me, Daniel. I said, okay. Man of God needs to control his passions. I'm like, right. First week, I'm like, yes, amen. Second week, listen to me. I'm like, okay, a man of God needs to control his passions. Like two weeks in a row? Can you imagine you came out two weeks in a row and, and one of the pastors says the same thing to you? The global, the global apostolic guy says the same thing. Need to be control of your passions. I'm like, amen, amen. You said that last week, but amen. I'm in, I'm doing that. I'm in. Third week in a row. Third week. I can show you where I'm standing. I can show you the exact place I'm standing. He takes his two baseball mitt hands, puts it on, on either side of my head, prays for me and says, listen to me. The man of God needs to be in control of his passions. I'm like, I got it. Are you trying to tell me something else? Because you said that like the last two weeks, and that's exactly what I said. No, what do you mean? Because like I got that. He's like, I'm just saying, a man of God needs to be in control of his passion. I'm like, all right. I was thankful it didn't come the fourth week. How many of you know what the man of God needs to be? A man of God needs to be in control of his passions. A woman of God needs to be in control of their, their passions. And, and I, I think it ties into this, this one, one wife thing. It certainly goes into the next aspect, control oneself. Everybody say control yourself. Temperate. What is temperate? It means sober. Sober, not intoxicated. How many of you know you can be intoxicated by lots of things? You can be intoxicated by money. You can be intoxicated by intoxicants, alcohol, marijuana. You can be intoxicated by things going to deal with, with sobriety here but there's, there's emotional intoxicants. You can be intoxicated and enamored by a house. You can see things and covet things and it causes your emotions to shift and change. Come on, someone say control yourself. Control. Say a little bit louder. Say control yourself. Control. It goes on self-control. There's internal checks. You know, one of the gifts of the Spirit is self-control. So if you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, you can control yourself. You can have self-control. You know, fasting's good for that. If you find yourself to be lacking control in your eating and, and you're physically, it's a good thing to put your flesh down, fold your flesh down, fold down, fold down your humanity. Respectable here in the NIV. Talking about control oneself. Temperate, sober, self-controlled. Respectable. That means that you're worthy of respect. You're like, Pastor, I think I've been eliminated. Well, repent and get back on the horse, you understand. Repent and get back in the game. That's why I hear a message like this, to challenge you and to see, huh, I desire to be a leader, but I've got some issues already. Well, shoot, we ain't even through the first third of it, but I mean, praise the Lord. You know what the meat of the word is? Somebody said, I had somebody say this to me, and I just lit them up right in the lobby. I, I wasn't very respectable, but I repented after. They said, Bye. happy birthday, Mayor Edna. I was just looking for you. Is your birthday today? Hallelujah. God bless you. We love those guys. What are, what are your names again? DeVries, I got it. I was going to say the Knowles. God bless the Knowles. The honorable, respectable mayor of Palmer. And, and if you know her, you'd agree with that. Her, in, her, in, in her, her outside life and her inside life. 
You know that nonsense that sometimes political people say, don't judge me by my, don't judge me by my private life. That's my private life and my public life. I got news, news flash, people. Your private life will soon be your public life. So if you have that stuff on the inside of you in your private life, it's soon to come out in your public life. Private, private life makes public decisions. Hospitable. What does that mean? I, I, I don't really have, I have the gift of hospitality maybe a little bit. Some of you really have a marvelous gift of hospitality, and I'm so grateful for that. You say, well, if I, if I don't have the gift of hospitality, does that mean I'm in trouble? No, it just, listen, here's what it means. It means you need to be concerned about people. If you're not concerned about people, you in the wrong, you, do not be a leader in God's church. If you don't care about people, I had somebody say, I love the ministry. I hate the people, but I love preaching. I'm thinking, um, yeah, you should do like, you should become a salesman or something, but don't, 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 don't be a leader in the church. If you hate people, there's something wrong with you. You need healing. Usually you got a bunch of daggers out of your back. If you could be seen in the spirit, it'd just be like all these arrows littering your whole body. You've just been offended by so many people and you just need to be healed and you need to be delivered. Can you say Amen. You hate people, it's only because they've wounded you so many times and you've not been able to muster up forgiveness and let it go. Hospitable, it basically means to be concerned about people. Able to teach. There's lots of different styles of teaching. But you have to be able to handle the Word. You have to be able to communicate God's Word. I'm talking about being a leader in the house of God, about being a leader. Aspire to be a leader. Aspire. Desire it. Yearn for it. Really? Yeah, really. Able to teach. There's lots of different ways. Our, our beloved pastor, Albert Kamau, is a Polynesian. And his, oh, you were walking out, but you walked back in, didn't you? I know you did, because you want to hear this. I know, my Polynesian friend. Polynesians have a way of, um, it's a lot of stories, and things are circular, and it's kind of like... Um, if you're, if you're from another culture like, like mine, Howley culture, Caucasian culture, very linear usually, but Aboriginal people, Polynesians, island people, there's a different way of communicating, and there's nothing wrong with it. There's everything right with it. So Pastor Albert Kamau, I remember he came and he preached in, in Molokai, and the building of Molokai is like a slant, and uh, it's high at the front and kind of lower at the doors when you enter, and when he was preaching, he said, this, is, this place is like a harp and the strings. And he goes on and he ties this whole message into a harp and the harp in our heart and worship and this whole thing. And it kind of went swirling everywhere. And I'm like trying to pick out the one, two, three. You know what I mean? And there is no one, two, three. It's just like this experience of flowing stories. And it was awesome. And it was anointed. And lives got touched. When I walked out, I'm like, I got the heart part. And I've been impacted by the Holy Spirit. That's a unique way of teaching. That's not how I'm teaching you right now. I'm moving very linear right through the text. You know, A through Z. No, we don't have A through Z. It's always scary when you hear that. We do the A through Z of the book of Ruth. You get to point D and they're 45 minutes into the message and you just want to call on the name of the Lord and pray for the rapture. But you've got to be able to teach. And you've got to be willing to, to, to communicate and learn how to communicate the Word of God. Can you say amen? Not given to drunkenness. 
Now, this is fascinating. Now, I don't, I don't drink at all. And a requirement in our church is that uh, you don't drink. If you're going to be a leader in this house, you don't drink. See, what are you talking about? Drinking is not a sin. No, you're right. Drinking is not a sin. Getting drunk is sin. However, I'm Irish on my father's side. And um, I think that one drink could possibly push me right over into a pub. Can you say amen? And, and how would that be? Well, I saw your pastor at the pub. You'd be instantly... In reproach, <laughs> I don't drink, and I haven't. I haven't had anything to drink for, well, I don't know. Ninety six was a long time. Ninety five. I, I I don't drink. Somebody said, "Well, I drink." Okay, do you get drunk? If you get drunk, it's wrong. I had somebody say, "Well, I can have four or five beers before I get drunk." I'm like, "Okay, well, it's because you've been like working on your stamina there with that." Not given to drunkenness. And I think that's a drunkenness intoxicant. You know, Leviticus 10. Leviticus 10 is amazing scripture. Actually, the Levites were not able to drink. When they're serving, when the house of the Lord they're serving, they're not able to partake of the wine. Isn't that interesting? You know, some say that Adab and Abinahu, the, the sons of Aaron, they offered strange fire. And if you analyze that and look at that text, you will find that most likely these two sons of Aaron were intoxicated. Listen, I got to think about it. It's not called spirits for no good reason. I'm just telling you. I, I steer away from it. When I park my, my truck at cars, I don't park in front of the liquor store. Why not? Because I don't even want somebody to think possibly that I went there for beer-battered halibut or whatever. I, I'm not even parking there. When I go to Fred Meyer's, I don't go in the liquor side. Why? Because I don't like being around the side where there's the liquor. You say, that's a little intense. Dude, you should see what God delivered me from. I stay far from that stuff. I have no desire for it. And as a leader, you need to not be getting drunk. Now, again, in this church, this one, you know, doesn't mean that all churches need to have that. You know how many, pa- I'm going to rant now. Here we go. You know how many knuckleheaded pastors, they endorsed a drinking thing. And it's all over California. It's all over Europe. You can just have a little glass of wine as long as you don't get drunk. Is that true and not, and not sin? That is true if you don't get drunk. That's right. If you're not getting intoxicated, so for me, that'd be like three or four timble, you know, thimblefuls, and then I pray to stop just in case. And I, I might even feel that. I know from cough syrup. Oh, did I just get of your pet sin? You're like praying for winter so you can take three shots of NyQuil in the Holy Ghost. Oh, the Lord knows. The Lord knows. I'm feeling better now. We should have an altar call for those who are addicted to NyQuil. <laughs> there are many pastors that have been pulled over for being intoxicated because they, they and their congregation just said, you know, it's okay to have wine. And again, please, it is okay to drink wine. It is okay to drink beer as long as you don't get intoxicated. If you're getting intoxicated, it's sin. S-I-N. 
Look at your neighbor and say, he's not talking to me, but he's talking to somebody. Come on, tell him. We have grape juice and crackers when we have communion. Do you know why we have grape juice and crackers? So we don't mess up former alcoholics and give them a taste for it, and then they want to go back. You tell me if I get drunk that I'm disqualified? Yes. Yes, I am. I'm telling you that. Again, strange fire by Aaron's sons. Proverbs says, Proverbs says a, a, a king shouldn't be given to wine and drink. I'm a king. Anybody else a king up in here? You make poor decisions when you get drunk. And uh, Paul's saying to Timothy, he says, take a little wine. And, and people have taken this scripture, and I'm not sure where it is because I'm just off the top of my heart with this thing. Take a little wine for thy stomach's sake. And you can go and look that up because people have used that. Well, you can drink wine because the apostle Paul spoke to Timothy and said, drink a little bit of wine for your stomach's sake. First of all, wine was common in the first century. And it can be assumed that he didn't drink wine if he's telling him to drink wine. And there is medicinal qualities about wine. And the other thing is that the water in that area was, was known to be even causing sickness. Why would he tell him to drink wine if he already drank it? He didn't. But it was certainly medicinal. Still, you shouldn't get drunk. All right. His temperament should be gentle. Oh, snap. We just disqualified a whole bunch of people. We're talking about qualifications, requirements from God's Word, and I won't go much longer, requirements for being an overseer, being a leader, being an elder, being a deacon. Gentle. Everybody say gentle. Not a lover of money. He must manage his family well. I mean, I moved through gentle pretty quickly, but I mean, if you see somebody flying off the handle constantly angry, how many of you know that's a problem? If they're not gentle, they're coarse, they're flippant. If they're constantly into, you know, schemes to get money, man, that's that, you got to watch out for that. It'll disqualify you. It's a disqualify. Don't have, don't love money. You can't serve God and mammon. You got to love God with all your heart. And when you do that, he'll provide for you. And I think you need to be a good business person. I think you can make money. There's a, you should make money. You should believe God for bonuses, raises, promotions, witty inventions, ideas. Come on, wouldn't it be great if God just give you this amazing idea and then you step forward and you're diligent and you work on that thing? But, but I've had people that come and like, pray for me to get a job. They get a job and they're no longer in church. And then I see them at Walmart at 11 o'clock, and I'm like, where are you? They're like, well, I got that job, and I'm just working all the time. Now, I'm not talking about working the slope. But if you're constantly going after money, and you're under, you will undermine your effectiveness as a leader, and you'll destroy your relationship with God. Must manage his family well and have obedient children who respect him. So in my home, and my kids can tell you, we would tell them, it sounded like, you know, Holy Ghost blackmail, and it was. We told them, and you can ask my kids. We told them, if you, don't, if you don't obey, you don't live for God, you don't live for God, you disqualify me from my call. Now, truth is, Hannah's on her own, really. She's in college, and she's an adult now. Daniel's in the final stages of, of just about ready to leave the home, and they all know they can come back the rest of their life. Amen. The door never closes. Amen. They'll always have a home. That'll never change. But they know clearly that if they don't serve God, if they don't serve God and they don't respect me and they don't obey, then I am disqualified from pastoring this church. 
I've told them that since they were little. Why would you do that? It's called the fear of God. Some of you need to teach your kids. Some of all of you need to teach your kids. You know what's amazing? We have the, you remember the parenting toolbox? We're going to do that again this winter. You know, we have this thing called the parenting toolbox. You know what blows my mind about that? I'm going to upset some people, but welcome to Kings. We're so glad you're here. What's some, what blows my mind, what blows our minds about that is the people that don't have one clue about how to raise a godly child aren't ever in the classes. I can't figure that out. And I, it's, the, it's the people that are doing a good job that come and get refreshed and resourced. And Listen, if you want to have a prison ministry, then just raise your kid incorrectly and don't know how to train them, don't, don't know how to discipline them. Don't, hello. Maybe, maybe we should have um, recommendations. We write recommendations for people, and then we'll have, per- we've seen you and your kids. You need the class. <laughs> all the, mother, all the mothers, mothers in Israel are like, hallelujah, praise God. <laughs> we, we would bring our kids over to someone's house, and uh, they would be, oh, you know, their children. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but a rod drives it far from them. I mean, kids are kids. But you need to train them. And so we'd go over to or someone's house to visit them. And, and at the end, they'd be like, your kids are amazing. You're so lucky. And I'm like, lucky? What are you talking about? We prayed that God would give us leaders, and he did. When God gives you leaders, when you pray for leaders, you know what you get? You get a strong-willed child, and you need to, you need to help them, train them, and hone that thing. Amen. My kids have very strong wills just like their mama. I might have a little something to do with that. But I'll tell you what, there's nothing wrong with a strong will. It's a good thing, but it needs to be shaped. And until, until that gets firmly, firmly rooted and grounded in the word for the Lord, you, listen, you don't want a weakling that gets pushed around by everything that comes their way. You want somebody that's got firm and conviction. Talk about conviction here in a moment. Where, where, where are we? Oh, yeah. Must manage his family well. Have obedient children. You say, my children don't obey you. It's a, it's a process, okay? It's a process. Teach them to obey. Don't quit. Even when they become teenagers. Especially, let me tell you about teenagers for just a second. A teenager will push against the walls of authority. Constantly push against the walls of authority. And I've had friends of mine that got so tired of their teenager pushing, questioning. How come you... How many of you know that? How many they... they, they yeah, right? And I've had friends of mine that said, you know something? Fine. Then you just do whatever you want. I'll be praying for you. And they go off. They get babies out of wedlock. They end up in drugs. And they end up messed up. And you say, how could that be? You need to hold the line, man, all of you parents that have teenagers. You hold the line. You do the right thing, and if you lose, they lose. If you, if you win and they lose, you've won. And you need to do that with love and grace and consequences. And if you don't learn to do that, I'll know you, all you youth are just loving me right now. God bless, God bless you. If you do that and you hold the line, they'll come through that stage of stupidity Listen, it's a scientific fact that the neurons in the brain are not connected. Let's go study it. 
Their brains are developing and the neurons are missing. So they're partially brain damaged as they're trying to figure it out. And so they need you to hold them together. It's just like guiding a little bomb. It's okay. It's okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You just keep guiding them. And you keep guiding them. And some are easier than others. But if you don't have children that obey you and live for the Lord, you disqualify yourself. They need to respect you. One of my kids, I won't say which one, because both of them are here. I think watch Lilo and Stitch and, and decided to try on a little line from Lilo and Stitch, which was, I hate you. It only happened one time because after that, the judgment. Our kids are not, you should not allow your kids to ever say, I hate you. I'm going to kill you. Or, you know, on and on and on and on and on and on and on. You don't allow that. There's swift consequences. Why? Because that's devil talk, man. You don't allow them to speak curses over you. Come on, honor. I am preaching better than your amening in this place. Honor your father and mother and you have a long life. Dishonor mom and dad. Have a short one. Praise break. Hallelujah. Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. Yay. I pray for every parent that they stay the course. Pastor Vince, I want to thank you for your example of being a, a father that, that stayed the course. You always encouraged me. You always encouraged me when I felt like I wasn't being a good dad or maybe being too hard or too firm. He said, no, no, no. Kids will push against that thing. You make sure those banks are in place. You make sure those structures are set and they cannot be moved. Because if you don't, if you don't do that, then you'll end up disqualifying yourself and they'll be disqualified too. Let's look at 10. Must be spiritually mature. Wow. Spiritually mature. I mean, that's a whole series. But if you're immature and you fly off the handle, you, you're easily offended. You don't have a prayer life. You're not able to discern. Hebrews talks about spiritual food, uh, solid meat is for those who are mature, who by reason of use of exercise their senses to discern good and evil. That's Ephesians, uh, pardon me, Hebrews 5. I started talking about the meat of the word earlier, and I didn't finish the, the statement. I had somebody, and I lit them up in the, in, the, in the lobby. I don't think I finished that story. Yeah, they said to me, nah, I can't come to church here anymore. I'm not getting fed. I thought... What? I said, that's an admission of your own laziness and ignorance. It's not an admission of anything that's being served here. You're the issue, not me. I don't think they wanted to hear that. But if you're online, I love you. You can come back anytime. They left. Amen. God bless you. Some lame excuse for, you know, I'm not getting fed. The Lord's leading me somewhere else. That's not why you're leaving. Why don't you tell the truth? Now, listen, if you're not, if you're not getting the meat of the word is... There's the meat and the milk of the word. The meat of the word is that which challenges you and to change. It really speaks to you. Like, like I can see this, this, this service tonight. There's people you're getting ministered to. It's 740, and I'm probably going to go for another three hours so, to test your maturity.
spiritual mature. A good reputation with outsiders. A good reputation with outsiders. That means those who are unbelievers, those who are outside the church, know you and can speak well of you. If you have a bad reputation, you know, Christians, by and large, in most communities, are the most hated group of people at restaurants. Because when they go to restaurants on Sunday, they, they leave a track instead of a tip. They're cheap, usually. I'm going to tell you something. If you will be generous, how about forget 10%. How about give your waiter, waitress, 20%? How about really blow their mind and they go, whew. We, we, when we tip, we tip generously, and we're known when we come back in. Those, those, those people. I go, I want that table. There's those people, those people that, those people that give big, the big tippers. And soon, and soon, as we, we, we frequently come back, lemons are hitting the table because I'm always asking for lemons. I don't even need to ask for them because they're already showing up. And then b- before you know it, it's my favorite appetizer that might be coming. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Would you like your appetizer today, Pastor Bracken? I'm like, as a matter of fact, I would. Well, how do they know me? Because I, I get the church on the hill? Uh, maybe, but it's really more than that. It's, we tip big. And I had actually somebody say this to me. They said, you know, can I tell you something? I said, well, sure. She said, you know, I've been working here a long time. He said, we all know you. We all know when you come in. This grieves me, man. We all know when you and Pastor Karen come in. You guys are the most generous people. And I thought, isn't that amazing? You know, honestly, I wish I could say it's just because of our godly character. The truth is, I was a waiter. So I know what it is to get gurked. You know what a gurk is? A gurk is like when somebody leaves you a track and says, Jesus loves you, and then don't leave you any money. Forget it. I'm going over here. You're like all the track people over there. She said, I've worked here a long time, and you know, I've, I've seen church people and pastors come in, and you know, most of them, I don't go to church, and I don't even believe like that, but you know, most of them, they, they, don't, they don't tip well, and they don't, they're rude. And I thought, God, how are we supposed to take a region if we're rude and cheap? Your reputation with outsiders is absolutely crucial. What does your neighbor think of you? What does your neighbor think of you? You know, your neighbor. What, what, is, it, what is the person on the out? What the person that you buy coffee? My daughter works at a coffee place. She could tell you stories, no doubt. Yeah, don't leave one of these $1,000 bills as a tip, ever. Here, $1,000. Wait a minute, it's a track. It'd be instantly like, I hate you. It's a cool track. Just don't leave it as a tip. And people be so rude to come to order, order coffee and be like, I told you, extra hot. I told you 140 degrees. Jesus help you, right? Sha-ta-ta-ta. Am I right? I mean, you can tell stories, endless stories about Christians who are total jerks. They disqualify themselves and they hurt the witness of the church and the community. Listen, do some random act of, of righteousness this week, won't you? Go, go buy somebody's food, buy somebody's coffee. Buy the people behind you, you know, their drink. Leave, leave a big tip for somebody so that they cry. When's the last time you left a tip for somebody that made them cry? Talking about a good reputation with outsiders. Deacons and deaconesses. Again, self-control. 
have true biblical convictions. Listen, you need to be a man and a woman of conviction. In Jeremiah 35, as a prophetic act, God speaks to Jeremiah and says, invite the, is it Rechabites? Is that right? Invite them to the house, to the temple, and give them wine to drink. And so they come. How many of you know this text? It's a totally obscure text. They come, Jeremiah 35, I believe. They come, and, and they offer some wine, and they all say, no, 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 we don't drink wine. Our father didn't drink wine, told us not to drink wine, and so we don't drink. Their father, their father, they're talking about 250 years earlier, their father, 250 years prior. They had a conviction, a set system of beliefs. I mean, think about the pressure, the, the prophet, maybe the high priest is there. All the influence of the people, you're at the temple, you're at the house of God. And the, 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 the peer pressure to drink. Some of you throw in your people of compromise. Don't be a person of compromise. You'll disqualify yourself from being a leader. Be a person of conviction. Can you say amen? Do the right thing. If somebody doesn't like it, they can stick it. They don't like it. If you do the right thing and they don't like you for it, who cares? I've been given a wonderful gift of I don't give a rip. Because I've learned this. I'm going to do the right thing. And if people don't like me for it, you ain't going to be my friend. You ain't going to go to my church. Hit the road, slick. I ain't here for you anyway. I'm going to preach the word. I'm going to declare it. I'm a man of conviction. I'm against same-sex marriage. I'm against smoking dope. I'm all for the word of God. And I'm not going to water down. I'm not going to back off. I'm going to preach the word and unrelentingly declare the goodness of God in the land of the living and see a great revival. Not a, not a, not a, a revival of compromise. Going to see God raise up people of conviction. People that are set in their resolve and their faith. Not wishy-washy, limp-wristed, no backbone. Oh, sorry, did it hurt your feelings? I'm going to be yet more undignified and unpolitical. I'm not, I'm not going to be politically sensitive. I don't care. Well, you're doing wonderfully up there, by the way. Must be tested. I'm almost done must be tested. Aspire to be a leader. And these are the requirements. As a deacon or a deaconess or leader, pastor, they, they, they blend. And many of our leaders, listen, I was a leader. I was a deacon, if you could look at it that way. I was a leader. I'm still a leader, but I was a life group leader that became a pastor. That happens all the time around here. All the time. That's the way it should be. Must be tested. Everybody say, this is a test. Do this is a test. You're going through a test right now. You were tested tonight. Part of you wanted to go to church. The other part of you didn't. Part of you wanted to watch Netflix. The other part of you wanted to go to church. You may ride your four-wheeler, but you're like, no, I'm, I'm going to go to church. And now look at the wonderful word you're getting. You'll be tested. Everything is a test. And if you can't be found faithful, why, why would you be elevated? Everything's a test. I've had them. I can tell you endless stories. But I've told you too much already. Okay, I'll just tell you one more. I can tell Minister David who's egging me on in the back. 
I was a leader and I, was, I had gone through my schooling and you know seminary and all that. Was done, was on the launching pad. And uh, Pastor Michael Gannon was going to go to Lanai and there was a space open for a youth pastor in our church. And I knew that it was mine. I mean, I was a logical choice in my mind. How many of you know sometimes, sometimes things in your mind aren't accurate? So I thought, oh, this is it. Here I go. I'm going into full-time ministry. I knew it was going to happen. I was looking for my shot. And I, I think it was part-time helping in the Connect department all those years ago. And they, they called me and said, hey, um, uh, Brother Daniel, we want you to preach Wednesday night at the youth. And I thought, oh, yes. I got into that Wednesday night service, preached with my hair on fire. The next, the next week, the, the youth group grew, went from 50 to 80 people the following week, and I preached again, and God was prophesying, people getting saved, people getting filled with the Spirit. Had youth coming to me, you are a new youth pastor? Oh, thank you, God. You're the new youth pastor. I'm like, well, we'll see, we'll see. Praise God. Hallelujah, we'll see. Third service came in just another power pack, you know, ripped the roof off. People bringing their friends. Word spreading in the high school. Oh, you need to come to our church. There's this crazy guy. Yeah, he's, oh, oh, it's good. Oh, you need to come. Oh, man, it's good. They're bringing their friends. I thought for sure. Logical choice. And then they didn't pick me. And I thought, my God, bunch of reprobates. <laughs> no, I obviously knew better than that. But in my heart, I thought, he must have made a mistake. They're bringing Pastor Steve back. They, they, brought, they flew Pastor Steve back from California. I'm thinking, what in God's name? How could that be? How could you do that? And, and in one week, I went from calling down the fire, walking in the power and the glory and the uh, salvation, healing, deliverance, miracles, prophesying, to being in the back with a list of names, checking off the students as they came in. I felt seriously demoted, and I lost my fire. It was a test. And I'll never forget the Lord, the Lord rebooted me and said, son, what are you doing? After I was partially backslid and lost my joy, stopped winning people, stopped, I would preach to everything. I'd stop buses. I'm talking crazy on fire, soul winner. And I lost it. I went in, into a low-grade depression. And the Lord spoke to me very clearly and said, have I... Have I not called you? You make the whole world your pulpit. Make the whole world your pulpit. I got so rebuked. And I was just like, ah, I'm just going to get people saved. I mean, I ain't in for a stupid job anyway. Lord, you saved me, and I'm going to tell everybody about it. And we're in Target. Some of you know the story. We're in Target later that day. My wife and I were walking. She's pushing the cart. And I'm all, shatatata. She's looking at me. A Kmart. Kmart. The first big box store that came to Maui. The big K. Kmart. I'm, I'm praying in tongues. My wife's looking at me. What are you doing? I'm all shaka da 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 da. I'm like, I'm going to break out. I'm going to break out. She's like, you're going to what? I said, I'm going to break out, man. I'm going to break out. She's like, what do you mean? What does that mean? <laughs> it was right around Christmas. And we walked past one of those phones. And I stomp. And I look at her. And she's like, oh, my God. And she just runs for her life, you know, with the car. And I picked the phone up, and I'm praying in tongues, and I'm like, come on, how do you turn the speaker on? And I figured it out. I was going to break out. <laughs> I figured out the speaker thing. Doot. 
He said, attention Kmart shoppers. I, I, didn't, I, I don't think I said that. Actually, what I did is I started singing some, some Christmas song. And it sounded pretty good. And then after, I said, Merry Christmas to each and every one of you shoppers. Let me tell you that Jesus is the reason for the season. And this is kind of how it went. And I began to tell him Jesus came to die on a cross. He's more than a you know, baby in a manger. He came to die on a cross. And you need to believe. And I did the whole gospel. I preached my brains out and said, so receive him. Give yourself the greatest gift this Christmas ever. Give your life to Christ. He loves you. And I hung up, but I was like, yes. And I felt the fire, man. I felt like, I was like, smoke rising. Woo! I'm back, baby. Hallelujah. I was going through a test. I'll never forget the guy coming down the aisle. He's so mad, spitting mad. He's like, was that you? And honestly, I was ready to be arrested because there was a higher law. Yeah, I was just like, whatever. He's like, was that you? I'm like, yeah, yes, sir. Yes, yes, it was me. He says, all you Christians are the same. And he walked by. I'm like, oh, it's not the manager. And I, I followed after him. Hey. I saw him. He's like, get away from me. Get away from me. He started running away. You'll be tested. That was a test for me. I failed for a little bit, got offended, questioned leadership. And then just came back under, I know now that if I had been given that position as a youth pastor, that there's certain things that weren't quite baked yet. Listen, if you pull a cake out and it ain't baked yet, it's not baked. I love brownies, but I hate when they're underdone. Homie needed to get back in there in the fire, cook a little longer. You'll be tested. Good marriage, good family. Look at five. Oh my gosh, I have preached so long to you, but you guys are being patient. Worthy of respect, not malicious talkers and Facebookers. It doesn't say Facebook in there, but I'll apply it. Be temperate and trustworthy. Can you keep confidence or you tell everybody all about it? Are you worthy of respect or do you act in a way that's disrespectful? Listen, all the younger folks, and, and, and I'm considering myself younger, if there's a senior person, step aside, open the door, and let them go before you. Don't you go rushing between their legs, all you kids, listen to me, all you youth. Husbands, open the doors for your wives. Wives. If you can hear what's in my head right now, it's just so awesome, but I can't say it. I'm going to have my own party for a second. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is anybody else talking to himself? It's a biblical thing to talk to yourself. Did you know that? I can hear my spirit say, don't, no, no, no. Pastor Karen might not be here, but I am. Don't say that. Okay. Yes, Lord. <laughs> What's God saying to us very quickly now? God's concerned about, about leaders, and he's concerned about raising them up. And I will tell you, we need. God is looking, looking for leaders. Some of you are well qualified, but you hold back. Because of your own agenda. I'm telling you, God's put talking to you. He says, God talking to me. Yeah, God's talking to you tonight. To rise, to aspire to be a leader. And in doing so, 
you'll actually bring a greater protection and stability upon your life. Serving brings greater confidence. When you serve, a corresponding unction, listen very closely, when you serve, a corresponding unction of the Holy Ghost comes on you. The Holy Spirit comes on you for that task, to do that task. And the thing about it is he doesn't just come on you for a moment to do it. He actually comes on you and you get a new level or a new mantle. You get a new anointing, a new empowerment of the Spirit of God, not just to do the task in the service of the house of the Lord, but actually in your whole life. I will never forget when they said, oh, you could be a life group leader. You could lead a small group. And when you do that, the same anointing that's on Dr. Morocco comes down upon you in portion to, to lead in the church. I said, excuse me? They said, oh yeah. He'll, he lays hands on you, prays for you, and this, that anointing as it was with Moses and the anointing went on the 70, 72, to inside the camp they were prophesying, the 70, to judge and be used by him. The same thing happens with leaders, that the anointing that's upon the house actually gets on you. And then other, other scriptures like, um, you know, the, the, the tabernacle, the ark of the covenant being in... in um, Obed-Edom's house and how Obed-Edom for three months prospered everything everything grew everything prospered in his house and when you open your home it'd be like the ark coming to your house I thought my God why doesn't everybody do that sign me up and I went through the process and I will never forget it first started with the choir that I'd be in the choir and a, a different unction more power to worship and to lead in worship on a choir was on me than was on the congregation. And I just got hooked, Brother Toby. I thought, man, I'm going to be a part of the choir and sing and God's power come on me in a greater way than it was when I was in the congregation. I thought, man, what else can we do in the choir? And I realized it's not just that. At every level, God calling me higher, I take a step, fresh power. Another step, fresh anointing. Another step, yeah, more responsibility, but more power to do it. And I was just going to tell you, I'm not going to stop continuing to take steps of faith, not going to stop continuing to do what God called us to do, because there comes a corresponding anointing desire to be a leader in the house of God, because it'll change your life. Can you say amen? And it'll bring you great confidence. God, wants you to aspire to be a great leader. I am done. Step up on your feet all across this place. I've taken much time to expound on that text. And if in your hearing you found yourself to be out of accord with the points of the message, maybe you're having a problem with alcohol and you want to be set free from that. The greatest, greatest way I know to be set free from alcohol is don't drink it. But even still, those that are alcoholics can be dry drunks. You know what that is? That's when you stop drinking, but you might as well be because you got the same stinking attitude you did when you were drinking. So you need to be set free from the inside. Or maybe you're struggling with lust. Or maybe, maybe your home's in disarray and your marriage is on the rock. You, listen, you can get healed. You can get set free. Maybe you've got kids and you realize, I need the parenting toolbox because I'm jacked up. Like I said, the parenting toolbox and these classes for learning how to raise godly children, the people that need to go, they don't go. You want to tell me how insane that is? And so they keep doing the same cycle of what I would call a generational iniquitous cycle. And they continue to pass on the curse even though they're in the church. They're in the church, they love God, but they don't teach their kids to walk in the ways of the Lord. They don't learn, they don't learn how to put the banks of the river. So the, you know, 
I mean, I've seen the most insane things. And you realize, man, my house is out of order. We'll repent and get some help. And, and come on, we can help you. He's out in council. I'm, praise the Lord, we've got a whole department. Amen? Got counselors being raised up. Come on, lift your hands all across this place. Ask God to speak to you through what I've spoken. It's 8 o'clock, and I'm just going to be a little bit longer. Lord, let the searching power of your spirit come now upon every heart, upon every man, upon every woman and every child that you would expose anything inside of us that might disqualify us or anything we need to shore up. The requirements, sober-minded, self-control, temperate, kind, hospitable, able to teach, above reproach, good reputation with those outside as well as those inside, mature, spiritually mature, Thank you for the test that we're in. Because after the test comes the testimony. Thank you. Come on, just for a moment longer. I know it's hot, but I'm almost done. It's way hotter than hell. Come on. And when you come, come across something that you feel like, man, I'm a little checked right there, then you repent. You don't need anybody to lead. You just ask God to forgive you by his blood. And then you ask him to change you. And you look for the roots. I've known families. This is a word of knowledge. I've known families, and there are some here, either online or in the house, uh, in the congregation tonight, that you don't, you don't hold the standard for your son or your daughter. You don't require them and discipline and chastise them because you were so abused that to actually bring any sort of controls or chastisement or discipline to your children hits a wound that's so deep on the inside of you because your parents abused you. Maybe they beat you. It's a horrible thing. It's not right. It's evil. But because of that, you're like, I'm never going to spank my child. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to love them. Listen, love Love crucified Jesus. Please don't misread that. If you love the Lord, you love your kids, you're going to train them. And if you don't train your kids, you're going to have a very jacked up life. Psalm 125 talks about children are a gift from the Lord. They're like blessed is the man whose table is full of like arrows in his quiver. It's a powerful psalm and I preached on it not long ago. If you don't teach your kids, then you will have a rotten life. And I'll tell you why. Because you love them, and as they grow up, they will cause you so much pain because you didn't train them. And then you'll have sleepless nights. You'll get gray hair early. And it'll, it'll be absolutely torturous for you. You say, well, it's too late. They're out of the house. Well, for the love of God, be a good godly grandparent. Repent, get back on board, and pray your ears off, and pray that God turns them around. But if they're still in your house, train them rightly. Teach them to be respectful. Don't let them talk nonsense to you. Say they hate you. Talk back at you. Don't let your kid. Listen, don't ever let your kid talk back to your wife. Ever. That's a serious mistake. Or to the husband. I know that's for somebody. Lift your hands. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Come on. Hey, yes. Yeah. 
pray for healing for every family. I pray, Lord, for those who are in need of healing in their hearts, those who have gone through things that, that have hindering them from flowing and operating rightly. I pray, God, for families tonight. I pray for children, marriages, that the healing power of God would come upon them. And as they read your word and obey your word and come to church and serve it, you would raise up leaders. I pray, speak to people tonight that they would aspire, they would desire, they would yearn, they would long for the noble task of being a leader in the house of God. Raise up leaders. I prophesy that there'll be a great group of leaders that are rising. Even hundreds of leaders will be raised from this place. It'll become leaders, elders, and pastors, and will go into the far-flung corners of the world. I prophesy, Lord, many, many pastors being raised up right out of the midst. Many, many children's leaders and workers, many worship leaders, many youth leaders. Raise them up from this group, I pray, even, in the name of Jesus. If you're not right with God, before I give an altar call to pray for you, if you'd like that, if you're not right with God online, those here, you want to give your heart to Jesus for the first time or make a recommitment to Him because you drifted. And pray this prayer with me right out loud if that's you. Be honest before the Lord. You say, that's me, Pastor. Would you raise your hand? You want to be included in this prayer. Over on this side, you want to get right with God. God bless you, son. Raise your hand high. God bless you. In the middle here, you want to get right with God. You're serious. You want to repent of your sin. God bless you, sweetheart. You want to get right with God. God bless you. Amen. You want heaven in your home. God bless you. Anybody else, raise your hand high. Unashamed. Pray this prayer. With me, I see that hand, son. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in my place, to rise again for the grave for me. Forgive me of all of my sin and come into my heart. Come into my life. And be my Lord. And be my Savior. Wash me and cleanse me and make me new. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, touch, fill, heal, baptize afresh. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.